Would you uh, join me in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible? We have come now to Genesis chapter 16, which you'll find there on page 11. We'll read this uh, whole chapter. You'll see that it's in two basic sections. The, the conflict in the first six verses, then there's the flight of Hagar, and then the remaining part is the encounter she has with the angel of the Lord and his uh, message to her, which really is the whole point of this passage. Then her restoration in verses 15 and 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahairo'oi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Thus the reading of God's word. May his word powerfully affect our lives by his grace. Let's pray and ask for his blessing upon us. 
Lord, as we delve into this passage, we pray for your grace to open it up to our hearts, for us to receive it, and Lord, to believe it, and to live it out in our lives. For your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. Some of you were around in the 70s when Campus Crusade had this nationwide campaign that, and I actually participated in it, that had a slogan called, I found it. On every billboard, on flyers, on posters, uh, on bumper stickers, I found it, I found it. And it meant, I found eternal life. Hagar could have come back from her trip in the wilderness with a sticker on her suitcase that said, he found me, right? I didn't find him. He found me. And in this passage, we discover that God finds us in our distress, that he hears us in our distress, that he sees us in our distress. Now, this is against the backdrop of human faithlessness. We fail to see God's promise. It's a great demonstration of human faithfulness in this passage. Now, as jolting as it seems, what Sarai proposes to do with Hagar was perfectly acceptable in that society. It ranged wide over uh, thousands of years, this was the practice uh, in the Middle East. And since the servant belonged to the mistress, the child would be regarded as belonging to her. But the narrator does not approve of this. The passage does not approve of it. In her very first words, Sarai blames God. And she's going to sort out God's mistakes, sort out his neglect of her. She doesn't regard herself at this point as really being in the hand of God. It seems like God has forgotten her and she's going to help the promise along since it's not working. And it's interesting how in verse three, it says after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. And you might think, yeah, well, 10 years, that's a long time for her to wait. But you see, part of the promise was that they would have the land. And so they're seeing part of the promise being fulfilled. Shouldn't this encourage you to expect the rest of the promise to be fulfilled? And yet there's unbelief. And the narrator actually compares this act with the fall of Adam and Eve. This very phrase where it says Abram in verse two, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. It's only found here and in Genesis three seventeen, where God says of Adam, you listen to the voice of of your wife. So Abram listening to Sarai is compared to Adam listening to Eve. And in both instances, the woman takes something, gives it to the husband, and he accepts it. One is the fruit that he eats. The other is Hagar that he goes into, into the room with Hagar. These are deliberate echoes of Genesis 3. The narrator sees this as a similar fall, a rerun of the fall to the refusal to believe God's word. It shows how weak and fragile we are. Abram was so courageous 
when he rescued Lot in chapter 14. He exhibits glorious faith in chapter 15. But then he gives in so easily to Sarah's scheming and scolding how helpless we are, all of us, apart from God's grace, how quick we are to turn and fall into sin and unbelief. So Hagar becomes pregnant And though her legal standing was still the same as a slave, now her social uh, standing has soared. It's been transformed. It was really unwise and ungracious of her to look down on Sarah. But one can at least understand the sin because we do the same. She was haughty to Sarah. She regarded Sarai as worthless. Ever look down on others and think you're better than them because you're smart or gifted or influential or because you have money or because you have a strong personality or you come from an important family? Ever look down on anyone? We do it so easily. We're like, Hagar, give us a privilege or blessing and we'll abuse it in a second. Humility and gratitude can evaporate just like that. That's what we're like, just like Hagar. Then Sarah, Sarai blames Abram, even though the whole thing was her idea. And at the end, when she says, may the Lord judge between you and me, it's virtually a curse. It could read this way. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Or a simple translation could be, God will get you for this. We love to shift blame, don't we? We like to find a scapegoat beside ourselves. We want to blame even those that are closest to us. How often are your arguments in marriage just a fight of hurling blame back and forth? You know it. I know it. Because Kay does it. No. (laughs) No, no. Speaking of myself, of course. You see, this outlines not just their sin, but... We see ourselves in the failure here. We see the human failure that we're all caught up in. And then Abram's response. How lame. Washing himself of any responsibility for the one he made his wife, who's now the mother of his child, whose pregnancy he himself caused. And instead of protecting Hagar, he hands her over to Sarah's resentment, encouraging Sarah to take out her feelings on Hagar. Treat her as you see fit. What? Abram. And notice he and Sarai don't refer to her by name, just by label. Servant, her. She gets dehumanized in this process. Ever avoid responsibility? Ever put your wife off, your husband off, your children off? Sometimes indefinitely ever not want to face something? Here was Abram. And then Sarai tries to maintain her status by treating Hagar as a slave, reminding her who's who. And you notice this parallel. It says that Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar. This is the same term used to describe the oppression of the Israelites at the hands of the Egyptians. It was used in the last chapter when God predicted it. It's used in Exodus 1 as it's actually described. And then it also says that she ran away. That term is also the term used of of Israel escaping and fleeing 
from Egypt. And so later, Israel is oppressed by the Egyptians. Here, a matriarch of Israel oppresses an Egyptian. What an ugly knot of sin in these first six verses. What a quagmire of broken relationships. Hagar lost her home. Sarai lost her mate. Abram lost his second wife and his newly conceived child. It's a total disaster. But enter the angel of the Lord. That's the feel of the passage, you see. This disaster. And she runs away. On her way, it looks like, to Egypt to go home. To maybe find some saving there. But the angel of the Lord, it says, found her. Now, this angel of the Lord is is a visible manifestation of God that really is not distinguishable. You can't distinguish it from God. Sometimes... It seemed the angel seems separate, but then always it falls into the first person or describes it as the presentation of God. So it's more of a representation of God than a representative of God, you see. More of a representation of God. It's the way God manifests his presence. Hagar had not even cried out to him. <clears throat> Nonetheless, the Lord found her by the well, far away south in the wilderness. It indicates, this word, a search for her. And it indicates an encounter with her. It even indicates a choice of her. It says in Deuteronomy 32 that God found Israel in the wilderness. It's an intimate term. And then how could the angel know her name and her position and the identity of her mistress This shows that Yahweh all along was in control and watching over her. He shows up at the well because you might say he came after her from where she had suffered. But this to tell Hagar to go back was a harsh intervention because the situation could be more intense than ever. She's being told to submit not just to the authority of Sarah, but to possible suffering, maybe even death. One described it as a divine word of terror to an abused woman. See how that would sound. I'm fleeing from, you know, possibly being killed. We'll we'll go back there. (laughs) But the promise that she will have many descendants assures her if she believes it, that she will not lose the child under Sarai's abuse. It will be difficult, but not deadly. And in spite of the danger, she offers no resistance. She believes this promise. And it's, it, there are many instances of the patriarchs receiving these promises of descendants, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, Hagar is the only woman in Genesis who has promised descendants. An Egyptian slave woman is singled out as the only one to receive the promise of descendants. Grace of God reaching out to where you would not expect it. And brothers and sisters, whatever your position, wherever you've been, However low you've sunk, 
Look at this woman, abused, left for dead virtually, a slave, a foreigner, and she is given the promise of descendants. And this promise guarantees the future beyond the present. She is in this way lifted above all the matriarchs of Israel. Because the birth of this Ishmael is just the beginning. And then his name, Ishmael, God hears or God will hear. It's taken from the common lament that you'll see in the Psalms again and again. Hear us, O God. And this name represents a faith that God will hear, that he does hear. And when he says he's heard uh, her affliction, it's the same word used in verse 6 where it describes that, uh, that, that Sarai dealt harshly with her. So he was there. He saw it. Though she had not cried out, it says this, the Lord listened to what? Look at what it says. The Lord listened to your affliction. What, a, what an amazing thing to say. He heard, he listened to your affliction. It's almost like you smelled the color, right? But it's to indicate how aware he was of it. He heard her misery. Brothers and sisters, he listens to your afflictions. He listens to your miseries. He sees them. He knows them. Just like he did hers. Though there she was utterly alone running in the desert. And he finds her and says, I know your affliction. I heard it. I heard it. No other ears were tuned to it. I was tuned to it. So this this name Ishmael, see, would forever recall to her how the Lord responded to her misery and affliction. And you think of the Israelites that if this kind of promise of descendants was given to Ishmael, how much more to them who are the true uh, children of Israel, uh, the, the, the ones who have received the great promises. He's described as this wild donkey to indicate his nomadic uh, lifestyle, that he's separate from other peoples and he's defiantly running free and running into conflict with others. The Ishmaelite tribes would give trouble to Israel. It was an Ishmaelite tribe that bought Joseph and took him down into Egypt, for instance. And yet, their freedom was still... A demonstration of the divine concern for the oppressed and his desire for their liberation. Strange, isn't it? That the existence of the Ishmaelites, whatever they may be to Israel, is still a sign that he heard uh, heard Hagar. And this coming back with this name and this 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 name that God hears. Uh, would be a rebuke to Abraham, Abram and Sarai um, because it would state to them, God hears your affliction of barrenness. You should have known that, that God hears your particular problem, your particular suffering. And the, the very name 
El Roy and El Roy and Bier Lahai Roy. God sees, that is, God provides for their needs. So he sees Hagar, he sees you, Sarai, he sees you, Israel, he sees you, Fort Worth Presbyterian Church. The Lord does look on our affliction. He is the God who sees. And it is interesting that Israel had turned from Canaan and run back, wanted to run back away into the wilderness. And God was calling them now to a very difficult task of facing the land itself and the giants and the walls that were there. And he's calling them to trust in him, even as he's calling on Hagar to trust and return to Abram and Sarai. It's interesting here that she doesn't call upon the name of Yahweh, but she names Yahweh. Yahweh is the Old Testament name of God, the name he revealed. No other character in the Old Testament, male or female, does that, gives a name to God. But it's Hagar that does They'll give names to family members. They'll give names to animals, to sacred sites, but never to one's God except Hagar. And she is the only woman in the Near Eastern literature who's called by name by a deity. It's amazing the place she is given where a deity calls her by name and then she names God herself. What a place of honor for a slave woman. It recalls to us the amazing honor that we have in being joined to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who died for our sins and is exalted to the right hand of God. We talked about this in Sunday school. And we are joined with him at his right hand. We are joined with him in his future rule over all things. Though we We're slaves of sin and devoted to sin, willingly giving ourselves to sin. And yet in his redemption, he exalts us to unimaginable place of glory as we even eventually will receive bodies of glory like Jesus Christ. And we will rule with him and even judge with him. This is just a little preview of the great glory and honor that God's people have. And then the, the well is given this name, Be'er Lahai Ro'i, which at least that's an approximation, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And of course, to see is to care. It's the willing, it could say, it's the well of the living one who cares for me. And Hagar by this is saying, this is, This is who God is. This is what I can count on from him. That he will always see me. He will always care for me. And it emphasizes the graciousness of the God who manifested himself to a pregnant woman in the wilderness. Even in the wilderness, he sought her and cared for her. In the moment of her greatest distress, she discovered God's care. And I would point you and me to the communion table itself. 
You know, this is the table of the living one who sees us and knows us. This is the table of the one who has found us in the wilderness of sin and rebellion. He knows our need. He knows our affliction. He knows our struggles and fears and failures and corruption. And he sets a table before us. And he's intimate with us. He sees us and knows us. In the movie Avatar, our hero Jake learns the phrase uh, from the Navi people, I see you, which doesn't mean just what you and I would say, I see you, I see you, like that. But it means I see into you. I see who you are. I see your desires and purposes. And so God in Christ has seen our terrible need and he's come to meet that need in Jesus Christ to find us and draw us to himself. And you'll notice that Hagar is no longer focused on her child. She's not rejoicing in the fact that she's going to have a child, but she's rejoicing in the God who sees her. She's, the, the promise is, is great, but she's looking at the person who promises. She's focused on the goodness of this God, captured by his care for her. It's really sad in the last two verses. You see three times the mention that Hagar bore Abram. Hagar bore Abram, a child for Abram, a son. It's mentioned three times. And you can see that Sarai is utterly left out of those two verses. Her scheming ended up with really nothing for her. The child belongs to Hagar and it belongs to Abram. And this probably indicates the protection that Abram is giving Hagar at this point. Yet, even that breaks down, as we'll see in a succeeding chapter. But when we see this, that Abram names him Ishmael, this shows all the more that he is truly in Abram's house and he truly is Abram's son and and has the honor of Abram's house But just think of the report that the angel of the Lord met me and he gave me this name, Ishmael. God hears. Think what a rebuke that is, as we've said, to Abram and Sarah. Sarai that had ignored the source of God to fulfill the promise. But this name would be a reminder that God sees, that God hears This message was brought back to them by an Egyptian slave. (laughs) She became the messenger. She became a kind of prophet, you see, kind of teacher preacher brought to them. It may be that Isaac got the point because it says that when uh, Rebecca was barren in chapter 25, verse 21, he prayed to the Lord. If Sarah, Sarah is barren, then cry out to the Lord. This was learned through a despised slave wife. And so for us, the call is to wait patiently for his promise. And so for churches, when we are, when we are seeking how we might minister God's word or how we might grow as a church, we don't run out to ungodly methods, methods that would be a compromise, such as we're compromising the word. We're going to make it popular. We'll say whatever people want to hear. 
That way we can grow and grow and grow rather than depending upon God alone. And so in every area of our lives, it is one in the midst of our affliction and distress to know first that God hears our distress. He sees, he finds us in our distress and his promises are glorious in the midst of our distress. That he will use us in his hands, that he will grow us in his grace, that more and more we will become instruments of good to others in the midst of our distress. That he has glorious purposes for us and for us in particular shown in the purpose of Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul can constantly draw us to the, the death of Christ and say, this is God's love for you, even in distress. As God gave so freely of his son, this, this is the measure of how he will give to you freely, though in the midst of it. It's much like the lament that we just prayed, where in the midst of this world, it is devastating. And sometimes we can't even get our bearings spiritually and emotionally. Still, still, God hears our distress and his purposes are alive and well. And nothing can stop him from his ongoing purpose to make us his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good deeds. So... How do you view your God? Do you view him as Hagar came to view him? As the God who hears. And because he hears and because he sees, because he has found you, that you are believing his promise and and obeying his word, however difficult it may be. Knowing that he is caring for you and is with you in all that you do. May God give us grace to submit ourselves to this glorious God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this story of the encounter of the angel and how he gives such rich assurances to Hagar and his promises so that she returns to what would be a very dangerous situation. Lord, we thank you for how this encouraged the people of Israel to face danger how Israel herself could see that, that, it, that Israel had, been, uh, had escaped and ran away, even as Hagar, into the wilderness, but that you had met them in the wilderness. You had been their resource. You had upheld them. You had held them up on eagles' wings. You had covered them and sheltered them in the wilderness, even as you did Hagar. And this encouraged them that you would do so even as they faced the dangers of taking the land of Canaan. Oh, Lord, may we ourselves face all that you lay before us, face our fears, face the things that stand in the way, the obstacles of our being honest with our own lives and our own sin, with our loving our own neighbors around us, with our obeying your mission in this world. Oh, Lord, may we depend upon you and in our distress always call out to you. And, Lord, may we obey obey you, expecting that you will be with us in all things. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.